So we've been in a day in the life of Jesus, right? That's been our series that we have been in. And uh, this morning, I've kind of subtitled it, Undeniably Necessary. Now, yesterday, um, my graphics guy that always makes these things uh, was at Six Flags all day in the heat. How many of you would have wanted to be at Six Flags yesterday? And yeah, I, that's when, when he told me that, I was like, uh, wow. And uh, so when he sent it to me last night um, to finish up, it was undeniably necessary. Necessary. And I thought, I should leave it like that just to see who notices. But from my experience in churches, everybody notices the mistakes, right? Right? Hmm. No comment. So on, on a, a number of occasions throughout the years, I have been asked by people, how often a day do you think I should pray? Anybody ever think of that question, asked that question before? Okay. It's, it's an interesting question, and, and the reasons for asking it are probably many. There are some people that ask it because maybe they, you know, feel this sense of obligation and duty that they're not living up to, or maybe they heard about another faith or another religion that, that people pray all day long or do three times a day or five times a day or whatever it might be, and there's a lot of, a lot of reasons for it, but I've learned over the years that my answers to those kind of questions need to be pretty simple. And um, when I answer that question now, I really answer it in this way, that our, our prayer life reflects the reality of how deeply I want to experience God. Right? My prayer life reflects the reality of how deeply I want to experience God. And, and there are a lot of ways to break that down, experiencing His presence, experiencing a deeper knowledge of Him, experiencing guidance that doesn't come from my own mind and my own heart or the people that surround me. It comes from the divine, supernatural guidance, experiencing His power, experiencing His strength in and my weakness, and the list could go on and on. But back to that question, how often a day do you think we should pray? If we take it from the perspective of a person who just wants to have good spiritual disciplines and they are doing it for all the right reasons, it's a legitimate question. Personally, I've told people this for years, I have tried to, in my life, practice what I believe the Apostle Paul gave as, as his mechanism for, for praying, and that was without ceasing. I've often described it to you and to others as a daily conversation that kind of just picks up where it's left off an hour ago or 15 minutes ago or whatever it might be. But in that model, I will tell you, I have, I have found sometimes that that is a little bit difficult because sometimes we get into life and life gets overcome by the events of life. The things that we want to do get overcome by the things that we have to do or we need to do or are just urgent. And so as a result of that, I've, I've found myself 
not talking to the Lord every day, all day, about anything or everything. And, and sometimes it, it goes a period of time, right? And I feel bad about that. I mean, there's a certain level of, um, of uh, church guilt in all of us. Right, we've heard the sermons, we've heard the the lessons, we've heard the Sunday school classes, and there's, so there's a certain amount of of church guilt that we all carry when it comes to things like this. But how should we view the question of prayer? The scriptures tell us about people praying in the Old Testament, specifically two that we're going to mention today: Daniel and David. Daniel in Daniel chapter six. Uh, now, when Daniel knew that the documents were signed, this was all the stuff that was putting into effect the statue, and he entered his house. Now, his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So we find out from Daniel, and later on you read how they used that against him to actually find him in that place because they knew he was going to be there. They knew he was going to be praying. They knew he was going to be there in the morning. They knew he was going to be there through the day. They knew he was going to be there in the evening. In Psalm 55, we read, But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. This is David. Evening, morning, noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. So, if we were to make a pattern, these guys give us the pattern, and there's probably other places in the Old Testament that we could find similar things. But these guys prayed three times a day. The scripture tells us about people and, and even the church praying in the New Testament. People like Peter in the New Testament church, Acts 2. The church at the third hour of the day was praying, 9 a.m. Acts 3. Peter and John went up together to the temple in the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m. And in Acts 10, Peter went up to the housetop to pray at the sixth hour of the day, noon. So at least for some, this idea of morning and noon and night prayer was a little bit of a pattern in their life. The question is, are we under some mandate to make this pattern of habit three times a day our pattern of habit? I don't believe that's what we're supposed to take away from things like this. Because there are other places in Scripture that show other patterns, like Isaac, for instance. In Genesis 24, it records that he went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. And the idea of meditate, as it's captured by one Bible scholar, historian, to meditate was to hold converse with his own thoughts, to ponder the importance of that never-to-be-forgotten scene when he had laid on the altar by his father's hand and a ram caught in the thicket became his substitute and to pour out his soul unto God for his salvation. What we, what we take away is that the most important reality is to simply get alone with God and spend time with him. So since we're looking at Jesus to guide us into all things, what did prayer look like in the life of Jesus? So let's look at a day, maybe, maybe a few days. Luke 11, 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, 
we were talking about this in the office this week, the idea of some of these allusions in scripture to places like a certain place or like they went to this region or they did this, um, there are very specific things in scripture. Um, Paul was supposed to go to a street called Straight, right? And so there are specific things. But there's other things that aren't quite so specific. And I read years ago that the underground church, the, the persecuted church, functions in much the same way. And the author of the article was saying that there are a lot of things in Scripture that you can read and find those similar things, like Jesus went to a certain place. Why did that place not get named? Why did it, right? And what the underground church, the persecuted church in countries where they have to be private would say, it's because believers still functioned there in those times. And so they didn't want to expose them to harm. The context for this time frame is found in a few verses earlier in chapter 10. They were traveling along and Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister, Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to do all this serving alone. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away. She was spending time with the Lord. We know from John that the scene is around Bethany where Martha and Mary lived with their brother Lazarus. John also gave us a little more clarity, reminding us that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. So Jesus was in that vicinity. Interesting, though, that he would say he went to, the author would say he went to a certain place to pray. Well, by the time Jesus is crucified and gone, these people are still there. When the Gospels are being written, these people are still alive. They're, right? So you, you kind of see some interesting things there. There are things in the Scripture that inform our understanding a little more about the prayer life of Jesus. And actually, prophetically, from Isaiah, when he is talking about the servant of God, the Messiah, this is what Isaiah says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. There's an echo of this in the life of Jesus when Mark records in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was there praying. So, so we see Jesus early in the morning and, and we hear Isaiah saying, this is, this is how the Messiah's life is going to be. This is how this chosen one of God is going to be. His servant is going to be awakened in the morning and, and his ear will be attuned and all of these things. So what else do we see? Back to Luke again, chapter 5. But the news about him was spreading even farther and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness But Jesus himself would often 
slip away into the wilderness and pray. So not only would Jesus pray early in the morning or at the start of the day or before even the start of the day, the scripture informs us that he would often pray throughout the day. Have you ever thought about the word often? It's a descriptor, right, of, of us. Like, for instance, I, I have... I've listened to Dina tell this so many times, I've just kind of just don't listen to it anymore. But she tells people that I often go to Chick-fil-A. And I, I thought I, I, I would sometimes try to deny it, but I do go there quite frequently, so much so that the staff knows my name and some of them even know what I normally order often and what I drink all the time, Right? So how many times does it take for someone to do something where it is described as often? Is it once a day, once, once a week, once a month, once a year? Whatever it was, for Jesus' prayer life during the course of, of any given day, he went away from people into solitude and he prayed often. Often. So we're clear that Jesus prayed early in the morning, awakened by God with his ears open to listen. We're clear that Jesus prayed during the day, getting away from the hustle and bustle of the world, finding a place of solitude, nobody around to distract, nothing else going on. And he did that often. And now we also see another opportunity that he takes to pray at night. The context here is the night before he chose his disciples and was going to call them to follow him. It was at this time, Luke 6, that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In the passage, we're also given the duration of time, right? There, there are some people that would like to take certain passages of scripture and they would say, could you not tarry with me one hour? So that means prayer should be one hour all the time, right? I mean, uh, they, they anointed with oil, and, and so now every, every time anybody prays, they have to have oil. Or Okay, all right, I understand all of that. But there's, there's a lot that goes into this as we begin to consider Jesus and how he prayed, when he prayed, how long he prayed, all of these different things. Matthew records another instance after the feeding of the 5,000, right before Jesus walked on the water. We talked about this recently. He had sent the crowds away. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. In, in the passage, we do not have really the exact time frame or the duration other than it was evening. But a few verses later, we get a little clue. Chapter 14 says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So the fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So if Jesus left them, as the scripture records, immediately after he fed all of these people, he was there from sometime in the late afternoon, early evening, until somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So Jesus prayed early in the morning. Jesus prayed during the day. 
Jesus prayed at night, sometimes through the entire night, or sometimes just into the wee hours of the morning. Now, there have been people that have tried to take these things and then mandate that into the lives of people who would desire to follow Christ. If you are going to pray then, and, and you are going to be like Jesus, then you have to pray early in the morning, you have to pray in the middle of the day, and you have to pray at night, and sometimes all night, and sometimes late into the night, right? Nothing wrong with any of those things. If, if you get up in the morning and you pray, and you pray during the day, and you pray at night, and you pray even late into the night, or all through the night, nothing wrong with those things at all. But is that really the point that we're supposed to take away? Because the scripture never really gives us that mandate, that command. Pray at 5.30 in the morning. Pray when you're eating lunch. And pray after dinner for multiple, multiple hours. It, it just doesn't do it. But it does give us more to add to our learning process. And that's what we've been in, right? Day in the life of Jesus has been about learning what he did every day, how he did it, why he did it, bringing gospel presence and, and purposefully engaging and all of the things that we've been talking about. Because we said at the beginning, our desire as followers of Jesus is to be like him. So for instance, we learn Jesus prayed before major decisions, like choosing the ones who would follow him and then be his messengers to all that they had seen and heard. We read it earlier. He went off to the mountain to pray and spent the whole night in prayer to God. So major decisions in the life of Jesus, prompted all-night prayer. Interesting. Because sometimes I've found in my life that I am willing to make major decisions without even any consultation, right? We learn Jesus brought others into his prayer time. Like, like after he told his disciples of his coming and his suffering and rejection by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and that he would be killed and then raised again on the third day. Then he follows that up by telling them the cost of following him. Luke 9, he, he was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses or forfeits himself or his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory." And the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you, truthfully, there are some of those standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is, is, is in that moment of time, and he's, he's talking about these things, about what's going to come to him. And then Luke records this just a few verses later. Eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. So we learn from Jesus that there is something there even in praying with others. They, 
They saw his transfiguration. They heard his conversation uh, with Moses and Elijah as they talked about his upcoming departure and, and what he was about to accomplish. So bringing others into times of prayer, right? That, that's a good thing. Now, I can't promise you that if I ask you to pray with me, that somehow there's going to be a transfiguration or Moses and Elijah are going to come or anything like that. That's not the point, really, right? The point is that these people were brought into this time of intimacy before God, this deepening relationship. We also learned Jesus prayed when things were the most heavy, like when he was facing the cross. Luke 22 he arrived at the place and said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation again. He had people with him. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. This was a time of agony for Jesus, the time of honesty for Jesus, submission and humility, and you might even say a time of great need, for sure, of strength to endure. It was a costly time, though, mentally and physically and emotionally. There's actually a physical condition that causes you to break blood vessels when you're under so much stress or pain or agony. Women do it all the time in childbirth, not to the point always that it comes out of their pores, but that's what was going on. He laid everything out there. He left nothing unsaid. So then bringing the most difficult, the most heavy things, opening up in complete transparency and honesty, needing strength... That's all part of what true prayer contains. Two more. The, the first one, though, does not actually have the word pray or prayer directly in the passage, um, but it's much the same language where other passages use this same thing and include it. But from it, we learn Jesus prayed when he was grieving like when John the Baptist was killed. Matthew 14, Jesus heard about John and withdrew himself from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. You know the context, if you've read on the beheading of John. Herod heard the good news about Jesus and said to his servant, this is John the Baptist, he's risen from the dead, that's why he has the miraculous powers, and then all of a sudden they arrest John and his wife, because there was, you know, all this uh, hanky-panky that had gone on in relationship and whatever, it was a mess. And John had spoken against that, and, and she didn't like it. So uh, he said to the daughter, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. And daughter consults with mom, and mom says, head of John the Baptist on a plate. And it says he was pretty grieved over that taking place, but he had given his word, so he had John beheaded and all of these things. And verse 12 goes to... His, John's disciples, came and took away the body and buried it. And they went and reported it to Jesus. And that's what we just read. He went then into a secluded place 
by himself. And from other passages in Scripture, we know that when he got away, it was to be with the Father. It was for that purpose alone. It was right after this that he fed the 5,000, recorded by Matthew. But it was uh, before that miracle, Jesus proceeded to um, grieve, if you will, over someone who had been intricately intertwined in his life and his ministry. It, It reminds us of the personal nature of prayer. It reminds us that, that prayer is not just something where we go and we stand with our hands in the air and we just say things to God and we might as well be thinking about doing our laundry, right? It, or, or we get even more reverent than that. We lay face down on the ground. We don't even look up and we just, you know, say things and say things, but it's just words coming out of our mouths and it's not in any way personal. But bringing a heart filled with great sorrow to the Lord, it is absolutely necessary. Part of what we learn about how Jesus prayed. The last one is this. We, we learn Jesus prayed when he was in pain, like when he went to the cross. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus couldn't go and be alone. All of those moments that he had spent in the early hours of the, the, the morning, all of those moments that he had, he had gotten away in the middle of the day, all of those moments that he was there overnight and deep into the night, he couldn't do that. But even in this pain, Jesus was crying out to the Father. The last one, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. He, he cried out from the intensity of the suffering and, and the extreme anguish that he was experiencing as he took on the sins of the world. He, he cried out in mercy, though, for those who were the reason for his suffering. And then he cried out in trust. So, so bringing the Father intense suffering... Bringing the Father extreme anguish in prayer, in talking to Him, it's okay. It's okay. So I want to go back to where we started. Luke 11.1. 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. If you look at the very next thing that it says in that verse, it says this. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. We know how the rest goes. Jesus opens up to them a a very foundational thing regarding prayer where it must be focused first on a holy God, and even where it ends by asking for divine assistance, dealing with temptation and and sin and all of those things, 
I, I don't believe that we can come to any other conclusion but that prayer formed the foundation of Jesus' life and ministry. And, and that the disciples saw that and they knew it was vital. In some way, in that moment of time, in Luke 11, 1, they knew that it was vital for their spiritual survival. They didn't go running to the Pharisees to ask them to teach them how to pray and make sure they had the right garments on and had the right jewelry on and said the right things with the right posture. It's not what they saw in Jesus. That's not what we have read about Jesus. Even as we learn this, we must also learn that trying to make prayer a formula really misses the mark because prayer must flow from a desire to deeply know and experience God as I was as I was contemplating this I I I just wrote this down and it, it stuck with me prayer is most authentic when it's the most personal. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody asks you to pray, and you say, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then because you've heard me say this before about how forgetful I can be sometimes, you immediately go to prayer because you don't want to be the one that says, I'll pray for somebody, and then you don't pray for them. So that you walk away from the person and you say, Lord, will you help Bob and Sue Lord, in all the stuff that they got going on that I was just told about, amen. Right? Doesn't mean a whole lot. You got, it, you got it done. Doesn't mean a whole lot. But you notice it's very different when you sit down with somebody and you sit across the table from them and, and there's three or four people there and they're talking and somebody begins to share the, the life that they're living and the difficulties and all that. And all of a sudden there's things that ping off the life that you've lived or you've been living. And, and then all of you go to prayer together. It's really different, isn't it? Prayer is most authentic when it's most personal. That's not to say there aren't patterns. Because there are. It's not to say that there aren't specific components that we can learn from in the scriptures, specifically in the life of Jesus, because there are. And it's good to learn these things and even put them into practice. So if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Dave, you know what? I, I really enjoyed that this morning, and, and I am going to make my lifelong pattern from here on out to get up at 6 a.m. and pray, and I'm going to pray at noon, and then I'm going to pray again at 6 p.m. for the rest of my life. And I'm going to say to them, absolutely not. That would be the dumbest thing you could ever do. Right? No, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to discourage someone from doing it. And so, so learning from these things and putting them into practice, making prayer personal, making prayer authentic, bringing grief and anxiety, bringing difficulties, bringing needs, bringing big decisions. It's all part of it. It's, it's wonderful. It's the life. So if we're willing, we can learn from Jesus' life in prayer. Here's a few things. He prayed publicly at his baptism. It was a witness praying publicly. He, he often prayed alone, slipping away from the crowds. Solitude. 
is a good thing for prayer. He prayed with others, Peter, John, and James. So praying corporately or with other people, that's good. He prayed throughout the day from early morning to and through the night. There was a constancy there. He prayed to stay closely aligned with the Father often. So much so, saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've known the Father, you've known me, right? If you've heard me speak, that's what the Father says. Unity. He prayed so as to experience all that the Father had for him. Whatever your will is, God, that's what I desire to do most. There was connection there. He prayed before making major decisions. And that's just wisdom, right? It's good stuff. And, and all of these things are undeniably necessary if we desire a full spiritual life of prayer. And we do, right? As followers of Jesus, we do. Just like the disciples did when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, and yet when, when challenged in one of the most critical moments in redemptive history, as Jesus is in the garden, their spiritual desire gave way to their physical exhaustion and weakness. As I thought about this a bit in, in the context of, of all the ways in which Jesus prayed and all the things that by then they had seen him do. Maybe in the beginning they didn't see all these things, but they had seen all of this all the way through. All the things the disciples would have known about his personal desire and, and discipline in prayer. Jesus had developed a, a, a life in prayer that, that prayed late into the night and into the early morning hours. It was his life. But for the disciples, maybe not so much. Could that be the reason that they couldn't do it? Developing a life of prayer is, is a lot like a doctor who trains their mind, who trains their body, who trains their emotions to be useful and ready at any moment. Right? They can't do it otherwise. I truly believe learning to pray like Jesus is vital. So as we close out this particular day in life of Jesus, here's a few things I believe we need to ask ourselves as we are desiring to be more like him. The first question is this. Do times of prayer and solitude form the foundation of my relationship with God? It's a good question. Am I trying to accomplish things for God without praying for God's will and strength? Do discernment and wisdom flow out of my being with God in prayer? Am I experiencing God through prayer in such a way that it forms and shapes my will to match His? This last one was one that I read and I thought this is incredibly interesting and why should I be the only one that has to deal with this? 
It takes a little bit of time and a little bit of honesty to consider. But if I was unable to pray, I know that's kind of a weird thing to think about, but if I was unable to pray, how would my life change? How would my life change if I was unable to pray? Prayer is an undeniable necessity for our spiritual growth and development as followers of Christ. My my prayer for our time today was that we would be at a place where hearing things like this from the life of Jesus would energize us in a way that we would deeply desire to know and experience God in prayer. So, how many of you heard me say this morning, you have to pray three times a day? You didn't. Well, Anna did. But she doesn't know what's going on anyway, so it's okay. You didn't hear that. But how many of you heard a life in Christ that has to be foundationally fixed around prayer? Or else, it's really not the way Jesus lived. We want to be like him. That's what we said in the very beginning when we were talking about this. And I said, we all desire as followers of Christ to be like him. And I saw head shake, yes, and you know, hands raised, yes, and all that stuff. Now, you might not have been here, but I can ask you the same question. If you're following Jesus, you're going to say yes. Can we take that into considering prayer? No pressure. Just bring it back before the Lord. And maybe struggle with that question a little bit. If, if I was unable to pray, right? Would my life change that much? I would hope so. I would hope so. Let's stand together as we conclude our time today. Beautiful day out there. It's hot. I should have probably preached on hellfire and brimstone. But I don't know how much that works in the middle of the summer in St. Louis. Everybody knows it's going to be hot, right? Lord, we're grateful for this time to gather today. Grateful that we could begin our time this morning in prayer, corporately, as we prayed through the scriptures. Grateful that we could sit and have a cup of coffee or talk with friends, family, just spend time together. Grateful that we could come and listen to music, but not just listen to music, participate in the music by, by using our own voices, Lord, to speak words of worship to you in agreement with the ones who lead us. Thank you that we could come together and, and bring children before you, bring a family before you, reminding us of the great responsibility that we have as a body of believers to walk in truth and to walk in love. And thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that, that reminds, shows, exposes, calls, all for the purpose of 
us as followers of Jesus living the life that he lived. I ask you this morning, God, to, to truly drive some of these things into our hearts. Maybe it's just one point, maybe it's multiple, but Lord, whatever you do, would you continue creating, con- continue cultivating the desire in us to deeply know and experience you and to have that take place in all of these things that we've just mentioned, but foundationally as we speak to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.